out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. Uh, my name is Justin Viver, and I'm joined as always by Chad Young, but no Niv Shaw for this episode. It's just going to be Chad and myself. On this episode, we're going to have kind of the same format we did before. We're going to have a few segments broken up. The general theme of this episode, though, is going to be making some buying and selling decisions as we approach Memorial Day here. But first, I want to I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that the Autobot podcast has new logos designed by Seth K on the Auto News Slack group. I want to say thank you to Seth again for the, his work because I I really like the new logo. You can follow us on Twitter at Autobot Pod to check those out and then obviously Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you'll see it as the as the album art as well. So big shout out there. I really like it. Instead of just the generic uh, my avatar <laughs> robot, it's now a little bit different. Although it's it's inspired by that a little bit. Seth, Seth is also a good manager. He's uh he is in he he founded a league I'm in and then left and now has come back to reclaim his team. Was that the one that you had? I think it was like a four by four and then you switched it to Saber. Is that the one? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. He, we, we, it was, a, we switched it to Saber because I had never played Saber. I don't know if that's the only reason that was my only reason. <laughs> I don't know what everyone else thought, <laughs> but that was why I switched it, why I wanted to switch it to Saber. And then that first year that we added it at Saber was the year that I won and completed the career grand slam. Yeah. And within minutes of naming that people were like, Hey, this guy, Vic, <laughs> won all four formats this year. I was like, ah, oh, screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, I hope, you're, I hope you're not listening, Vic. <laughs> Took the wind out of uh, Chad's career Grand Slam a little bit, considering someone did it in a single season. But yeah, I'm still I'm still chasing mine. I'm trying. I've got I'm in two four by four leagues. And it's not going great this year so far, but we'll see. I'm still trying to. Still trying to win a four by four league because I have not done that yet. So you're in two of them, huh? You I know you're in you're in food and travel, and I took you're, over. You're in the mix there. I am. I am. And I took over an orphan team in the middle of last season that had a really good roster. And I've somehow just completely messed it up because I'm floating around in ninth or 10th. I don't really understand why. I think it's just just one of those things. I think also four by four standings are pretty volatile. You know, it, it takes a little longer for them to settle in, which I know yeah, is, sure. you, you know, you, you and Niv talk about that a lot as being sort of a selling point of four by four that it's less certain of, well, it's June 1st and you know, who's going to win your Fangraphs points league. Whereas in four by four, there's a lot more room to, uh, to maneuver. So we'll see, maybe I'll stage a comeback, but I'm not super off. That's also an OPL squad, which is alive right now, but I don't think it's going to be at the end of, at the end of May. I think they're going to no. be cut. So where are you right now in the standings? That team is like 115th or something. So that's a, that's a tough road to hoe in four days. Yeah, I I'm not optimistic. I I thought that team would perform better, but it's it's just not working out. So we'll see. 
Yeah, that happens. Oh, they're 106. But, I'm sorry. That's that's the okay. team that's just a little bit closer. 106? That's a big difference from 115 to 106. That's... Well, they've been floating around lower than that, and I think maybe that I was just remembering from a few days ago. I think they've creeped up a little bit, so we'll see. Nobody cares about my fantasy leagues. Our first segment, and I feel like it's this is topical because we had some things go down, especially in Brinks. We're seeing some Mike Trout's cut across the auto new landscape. I know you posted some thoughts. I was catching up. I was kind of AWOL for a little while on Slack. I was catching up because I saw myself getting pinged in a couple instances. So I saw that you had posted some some thoughts that you had about the whole concept of, you know, cutting, uh, not even just Trout specifically, but like an overpriced star to sort of try to trigger a cascade. Now, I don't think that's always why those players are cut. Sometimes you just, you need to sort of recycle your roster a little bit. But when would you cut a Mike Trout in the situation we're in right now where he's he's hurt for a couple months? I don't know. I mean, this is I struggle with this because I understand why people do it. And I think my issue, and this is hard for me to say as somebody who helped to create the like structure of Auto New, but I think it's a problem that Auto New makes that a viable strategy. Because part of what Auto New is supposed to do is replicate what real the kinds of decisions real teams have to make, and the decision of like whether am I going to keep tra- Trout or cut him in the off season or trade him, like those are real decisions. The decision of whether or not I should cut Trout in the middle of the season because he got hurt is not a real decision. No major league team does that, and there's no scenario where major league teams are sitting there thinking like, man, the season's not really going well. Let's just cut our best player and see what happens. And so I get I get why the economics of Auto New make that an appealing strategy. I wish it weren't. And so what that ends up meaning is I have a bit of a bias against doing that myself because I think it's not I think it's not what's supposed to happen. And so you're asking me when would I do it? I don't know, I probably wouldn't. Like Niv right now in League One has Trout. It's a $75 Trout, something like that. And he's just sitting on him and he's waiting and he's taking offers. He's he, Niv is selling. His, his season is basically over. He is in 11th place. He is out of OPL. That's a $75 Trout. He's got him on the trade block. He says that he's gotten some offers. I don't know what those offers have looked like. I also don't know if he's gotten offers from people who intend to cut Trout, which might be the case. Although my guess is if Niv's considering the offers, it's not the case. Niv's thinking is that he's, as far as I can tell, is that he's going to wait until Trout's back if he needs to, and he'll trade him then because he thinks he'll still have trade value, I'd be much more likely to take that approach. That said, if I was going to cut him, you cut him the day he gets hurt. Like, why would you wait? The sooner the better. Right. Yeah. I mean, in, in my circumstance, I did just cut him in Brinks. He was $90 in Brinks because I kept him kind of with the intention of trading him and it didn't work when he got hurt. And In my situation, I feel like there's a big difference between a $90 trout and holding on to a $70 trout and trying to get some sort of return for him. And I can see the argument that you're making. My only counter argument would be that not everything in Autonew is really replicating Major League Baseball. So I think think in this sense, it's just one of those things that's just a function of having your available cap space tied in. You know, we don't have a separate fab budget or anything like that in a league like that. You wouldn't cut trout because you have no benefit to cutting trout. But at the same time, like we see 
stars put on the on waivers in September and teams can claim them. And we have seen players was Vernon Wells was an example, right? Who was claimed and without even uh, a trade being consummated because it does happen. Now that's not the same as Mike Trout. I mean, I mean, freely admitting that, but you know, there are situations where teams will divest themselves of a, of a player, even though they're a good player because they just can't manage the, the financials of that contract anymore. So it's an extreme version of that granted, but you know, it's, I think when you're in a situation like, like I'm rebuilding in that league, if I was rebuilding and trout was cut by a different team, I'd be all over acquiring that trout and placing a bid. But as a rebuilding team, who's now stuck holding an asset that I can't really get a return from a contender that I thought was worth more than what I could potentially acquire with freeing up $90 in cap space. So I, I could be wrong about that. It could end up not working out, but I was okay saying, you know what, let's let's just see what shakes loose here. Yeah, I think it probably will work out. I think it's just, it is a, it is to me a gap in the economics of Autonew that that might work out, that that will work out for you most likely. So, I don't think it should. So can you, do you have any ideas for a mechanism that could prevent something like that from happening? I mean, no. is, there, is there a solution beyond just sort of a gentleman's agreement to not make moves like that? I mean, I think I'm trying to think of... So I do think there's a couple of things that that league should do. One is, like, I hate this thing that, like, people go over the cap and then wait. That's another one of those things where, like, if yeah. a team wants to add up, if a major league team adds a player to their 40-man roster, they have to get that resolved before they take the field. Like, they don't get to, like, just wait it out. And so that is one of those things that, like, I don't think people should, like, wait for waivers to finish and stuff like that. Like, you, you get a guy, you cut the guys you need to do it. And I think if you did that, it would change people's behavior a little bit, although it might actually make cutting a guy like Trout more valuable, so maybe that doesn't help. I could see an argument for not clearing cap penalties. If you take a cap penalty in a guy, you take a cap penalty in a guy. That is the punishment you get for signing a bad contract, is that you're stuck with him the rest of the way, no matter who picks him up or anything else. Right. That would then cut the, the advantage to you of cutting trout literally in half. Correct. Doesn't mean you wouldn't do it, but it would it would cut down the value of it. I don't know though. The problem with that is, well, I think that's a totally reasonable reaction to someone cutting trout. It's not a reasonable reaction to someone cutting like a three dollar guy they picked up late in the draft that they're cycling through. Like it's and and it over time what it would do is interfere with the worst team's ability to sort of climb back in and compete or rebuild. And so I don't think that's a good trade-off. I, I think this is, realistically, I think this is, it's just what it is. It's a thing that I wish didn't happen that does, and it's going to continue to happen. And I don't think there's a way to stop it from happening. And I'll probably do it at some points because there will be points at which it's the best thing for my team. And I'm not going to hold myself at a handicap just because I think that other people should too. <laughs> Well, and, and I mean, if it's not as, as extreme an example, but you've had a lot of George Springer's getting cut uh, recently, Marcelo Zuna going on the IL with his finger issue. I mean, he was struggling to begin with, and now he's going to be on the shelf. So I'm seeing a lot of cuts. I've made a cut for Marcelo Zuna recently. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's not the magnitude and the sort of the wow factor of cutting Mike Trout, but it's sort of the same thing where you're just like, what, what am I going to get in return? And is that better than just freeing up some space and moving on? So, right. and, uh, I, and I think at the end of the day, that's, that is the, the issue. Is it like, 
it's annoying when it's trout. It feels wrong when it's trout, but what's, what is the definition of that? What is the way I could define you shouldn't cut trout, but you should cut. Cause like Springer and Ozuna are kind of borderline to me, but like if somebody is cutting a five, I'm trying to think of like a $5 player who is underperforming this year, Josh Naylor. Let's use Josh Naylor as an example. Cause I was high and I'm going to season. Someone's yeah. cutting a $5 Josh Naylor who's underperforming or a $10 Zach Plesak because he's underperforming and now hurt which might be a better comparison to the guys we talked about, that doesn't seem problematic to me. So like, what is it? Like, maybe it's me. Maybe it's not the trout situation. Maybe it's just like my own personal hangups or something. Well, I mean, I, I think the difference is a, the team that's cutting trout, having that much cap potentially being freed up. Cause you know, trout's going to be re-auctioned in yeah. pretty much every instance. And then B is the potential for some other team in your league, getting a Mike trout at a below market, price and that can be a big deal now i don't i don't want to flame anybody but there was somebody posted on slack today that trout was cut and re-auctioned in their league and that auction went through i think this morning there was only one bidder the person that initially started the auction bid 67 dollars. nobody else bid trout was cut originally at 80 dollars, so they were re-won at the minimum bid of 40 dollars that's insane. That shouldn't happen. Now that's a different, that's the other side of the coin here. So my next part of this question is if trout is cut or any of these other pieces that you think still have value, but they've been cut because their salary was too high. How do you approach making a bid on those players in a situation where you don't have $40 in cap space available, or maybe even 20. I know you've talked about this before where you have to make those decisions as far as you're not adding a player you know, you're, you're sort of, you're adding a player who might be better than the worst player or the player that you'd cut to acquire them. But it's a little more complicated when you're talking about some of these more higher dollar re-auction situations. So how do you approach those, those situations where someone like Trout or Springer is up for auction? Yeah. So it depends a little bit on what my roster situation or what my roster, my standing situations are. So if I'm competing, I'm probably not bidding. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. And like in the situation you were talking about earlier, one of the guys that we know in that league was sort of regretting that he didn't bid, which I get if I could, you know, $40 trout, I would also regret that. But like, he couldn't bid. He couldn't even bid $40 because had he bid $40, he would have had to strip his first, currently first place team right. to the point that he would, he'd be forfeiting this season in order to have a cheap trout next year. Yep. And like, that's not, that doesn't make sense. So if I'm competing, I'm probably not participating unless... I have a bunch of cap space. Mate, right. If I've got $30 in cap space, which I might, and I also happen to have spent 50 bucks on Springer. Okay, well now I've got now I can cut Springer cuz cutting Springer for Trout like they're both injured. Fine, it's it's sort of a one for one wash. That gets me up to 55 bucks. Maybe I put in the $55 bid just in case, right? I think beyond that I I do two things. One is I don't worry at all about whether or not I think I'm going to win. Whether or not I'm going to win the auction is irrelevant. I'm going to make the bid I'm going to make. The second thing is I think about what a guy like Trout's value is as a, almost as a secondary thing, which seems kind of weird. Instead, what I'm doing is thinking things like, so let me, I'll give you an example from Brinks since that's the league where, where this just happened. So, Niv and I are co-managers in Brinks. We did put in a bid on Trout. When we were putting in the bid on Trout, 
we went through our roster and we looked at who are our most expensive players and how much money could we theoretically clear if we cut this guy or cut that guy. And it's like, we have a $20 Michael Conforto. He's injured. He hasn't been performing. We have a $38 Anthony Rendon who has been struggling, but I think is still very, very good. I think both those guys are keepers. So the question for us became, what is the price point at which if we win Trout, we will think we are better off keeping X dollar Trout next year than we are keeping a $40 Rendon and a $22 Conforto. And I think we put in a $67 That sounds right. I'm going to go double check real quick. It was somewhere in that general range. My goodness, a lot of auctions have ended in that league this today. Yeah, we put in a $67 bid. It was the third highest bid. There was a there was a 59, a 65, a 67, a 68, and then the winning bid was 70, ended up costing the winning team 69. And basically what we said is if we have Trout for under 70 going into arbitration, that's a price point at which fine, we've lost Conforto, fine, we've lost Rendon, we'll live with that because Trout is worth it. We theoretically as I'm, as I'm looking at this roster, I mean, we've got $28 in cap space. If we wanted to, we could have cut Rendon to get us from 28 to 47. Conforto gets us to 57. Grandal, we could have cut to get us to 63. Eugenio Suarez, we could have cut at $16. That would have gotten us to 60. Well, now I'm losing track of where we were. But point being, we could have cut a bunch of other players. Right. Right. We could have cut an $8 Alejandro Kirk. We could have cut, I mean, Josh Naylor at $6. We probably would have cut if it came down to it. $15 Plesak, $13 Orkiti, $13 Ryu. Like we could have gutted our team and we would have won that auction. We easily could have gotten to a $75 to $80 bid without a problem. And we would have given up all those players. And if somebody said to me right now, do you want to trade all of those guys for Trout and then likely the cap room you get back when those guys get auctioned? The answer is no. I right. wouldn't do that. So even though I think Trout, if it were preseason, we had endless money and no cap penalties and blah, 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 we would have gone to 75, maybe even 80 on him, something like that, depending on what our team situation was. We couldn't do that here. It didn't make sense. Yep. Yeah. And that's a very similar process I go through. That's pretty much exactly what I do is I look at what do I have that I can cut that would, that it would be freeing up a certain amount of money and then also comparing the value of the player I'm bidding on versus what I am cutting to make room for that player. I, I'm more willing to take those risks if I'm rebuilding because I don't care so much about short-term performance. But yeah, when you're contending and you don't, unless you already have 30 or $40 freely available, it's a lot harder to place any sort of market value bid on these players because you just don't have uh, the flexibility to do that. So, and, and I think this is this is where the cuts of expensive players bothers me is that the concept of the Vickery auctions that are used for auto new in-season free agent auctions is that everybody is incented to bid the players what they believe that player's true value to be. And so the winning price ends up being an actual representation of market price. That's not true with these guys. Yeah. When when the when the the value of the player and the potential and the salary the winning bid of that player is too great, then yes, I agree with you. It it, it, it artificially limits that market. Yes. Yeah. Right. I agree with that. And that's why it's I was a, curious if you had some sort of idea of a way of limiting that mechanically within Audinu, because otherwise, I mean, it's fair game. It's sort of like the 30-day cut and re-auction system. Yeah. I mean... <clears throat> the only other thing I could think of is something that says, like, your cap penalties can't be cleared within 30 days. So right, even if moment. like if you if you cut someone today, 
even if somebody claims them off waivers, even if somebody picks them up at an auction a week later, you have to wait at least X days before cap penalties go away. With the concept being that if you're cutting somebody who is that clearly going to be rostered by someone else, you don't deserve the reward of, of getting more cap space cleared. And then what it would do is it would it would mean that when all of the guys who get cut as a result of Trout get cut and get they get put up for auction, you wouldn't have the extra cap space to go after them. You'd have some because you'd have the $45 you saved initially, which is not nothing. But like Niv and I have $28. If you had $45 and we had $28, we're not exactly on even footing, but we're somewhat on even footing. But as it stands... Now we're going to go into these like Springer auctions and whoever else gets put up and you've got $91 to spend and nobody right. else is in that, that space. Well, and what you're suggesting would also prevent some of those situations where a manager has won one of these players, they're illegal. They make a couple cuts. They're still illegal, but they're waiting for those cuts to see if they get claimed. If, if they're never going to get rid of that first 50% of the cap penalty, then they would have no reason to wait. They would have to just keep cutting because they'd have to wait 30 days to get divested right. of that anyway. So that would prevent that situation as well, which I know yeah. has been a you know an issue in some leagues where someone... You could actually keep... tie those together because you could actually say your cat, your, the second half of your cap penalty isn't cleared until X number of days and you've gotten legal, whichever comes second or something like that. So that if you wait, so even if you were like, even if you decided it shouldn't be 30 days, that's too long. It should be 10 days. Someone wouldn't even be able to wait 10 days because if they got to 10 days and they'd never gotten legal, they'd be forced to keep making cuts till they got legal before. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't. If only we knew the guy who runs <laughs> AutoNew to propose this idea to I, him. I, I can already imagine what that conversation might go like anyway, because I know that. The program wise, the the cap penalty is tied directly to the minimum salary, the minimum bid. Yeah. When you reauction that player, so there'd have no. to be this sort is, of another variable in play there. But this is so. So for when Niv is listening, because I'm I'm sure he's going <laughs> to listen. This is all idle speculation. This is all sort of fun and games and thinking about is there a mechanism you could theoretically put in place? I'm not even going to bother to propose this or put this on the wish list or something like that. Niv's going to. Let's put it this way. If Niv were on today, this conversation would already be over because he would have told us to <laughs> shut up and move on. So, <laughs> Well, we still kind of have to shut up and move on because we, we've spent too long on this segment. The The main topic that I want to discuss, and this is sort of uh, high level, is we we talked about it a few episodes ago where we had a mailbag question where somebody wanted to know how do we decide when to rebuild. I know you've covered some of this on Keeper Cut with, with Pete, but... In my opinion, a lot of the decisions that I'm going to make about, okay, I'm finally deciding I'm ready to rebuild or I'm ready to make a push. In general, my rule of thumb is I start making those decisions right around now. For me, Memorial Day is like moving day where this is the point in the season where you've got two months. You have a better sense. You're not overreacting to a single month. You've had an opportunity to see how your players are performing. A lot of those small sample size issues are starting to go away. And you probably start to have a sense of whether you realistically can compete in the league or not as of this time frame, Memorial Day, June 1st. Do you agree with that? Have you ever sort of had that as a bookmark in your mind for, for the auto new season? Or, or are you looking a little further? I think... Because I know we've talked about this before, you like to be a little more on the side of compete as long as possible. Maybe your your date to make those decisions gets pushed out further than mine. But this is at least the 
I typically want to wait until at least now before I change my mind about whether a team was going to compete or not, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, so I, I like to be more aggressive about trying to compete. That is less like if I that that has more to do with deciding that a team isn't going to compete than it does with when, if that makes sense. So like if my t- if I have a team that's just terrible and I don't think they're going to turn it around, I'll sell. I'll sell in April. I am fine doing that. And I get aggressive about doing that too. I also am a, I'm an opportunistic trader. I think most of my leagues, if you looked back at my trade history for a given season, you would have a hard time being able to tell if I was buying or selling until maybe June or July, maybe July. Because in April, May, and even into June, if somebody puts a guy on the block that I think is a good player that I want to have, I just go get them or I try to, right? I guess I should, it's not like I can just go take them, but so like, but you're you not, at, but you're not restricting yourself into the idea of, well, I'm selling, so I'm only buying prospects or I'm buying. So I'm only looking for overpriced studs. Yeah. So if you look at, if you go look at, at the food and travel league, 1199 that we're both in, and, and you've been part of some of these trades with me. So this is, this is a good example. April 6th, I made my first trade of the year. I gave up Chris Paddock. I got Max Kepler. I don't think that's a buy or sell. It was just a, a trade. On April 20th, I traded away Chris Sale and Mike Clevenger and got Clayton Kershaw and David Price. That's a pretty clear buy, right? Giving up two guys who aren't pitching this year for Kershaw, really. Price was, I think I think I even picked him up intentionally to cut him. Then on April 24th, I traded away Trey Mancini, Jordan Montgomery, Adelise Garcia, which I want to kick myself for, and Adley Rutschman to get you Darvish, Dansby Swanson, and Kavan Biggio. Looks like a buy trade, if, if anything, right? Picking yep. up Darvish. And then... Literally, like two weeks later, a week and a half later, on May 5th, I traded with you. And I traded Nick Cassianos and Anthony Rendon to you for Drew Pomerantz, Carlos Rodon, Jared Kelnick, and Austin Martin, which very clearly looks like a sell trade. Yep. But those were all situations where I felt like I was getting the better side of the deal, so I made them. And I, and I figured over time, I would work things out. And if, if I find myself selling... I believe the price I paid for Darvish is such that I'll end up doing fine. I'll get something back for him or I'll keep him. If I end up buying, I believe that at the price I paid you to get Kelnick and Martin uh, and Rodon, I can, you know, Pomerantz got hurt. And so that's a whole different thing. But like, I think I can recoup that. I think I can trade those guys away and make my team better. I also, I thought Kelnick was going to be better when he first came up than he's been. And so when I made that trade, the, the, the impressive thing about that trade was I made that trade thinking... I can get rid of Castellanos in this deal because I'm going to get Kelnick and my outfield will still have Kelnick in it because I think he's going to be up soon. And then he was up eight days later. And so from that perspective, I felt really good about that deal. And he hasn't really been as good as I hoped, but that was the way I looked at those deals. I wasn't buying, I wasn't selling. I was just moving assets I liked for assets I liked more. And I think that is a really important point to make. And I think it's definitely an aspect of trading that I need to be better about as far as not getting, I think with as many leagues as I'm in, I'm get, I get very sort of narrow focused on 
this league I'm buying, this league I'm selling, and this is what I'm looking for. I also don't do a lot of the legwork that a lot of other auto new managers do to, to consummate some of these trades. So it's a lot harder for me to take advantage of those opportunities or try to make an arbitrage type trade where I'm trading for someone whose value I think is going to explode. And then I can flip them to get, you know, an even better player later. If I was in fewer leagues, that would definitely be something I would, I would do more often and a bigger focus of, of what I'm doing in Audenew. It's hard to do that when you're so interesting. Cause I feel like, I feel like almost the opposite. If I were in fewer leagues, I would actually take the time for each league to figure out, should I buy, should I sell? And what should I be looking for, for buying or selling, if that's what I'm doing? Because I'm in so many leagues right now, I feel like I don't have the time or, or energy to do that. And so I'm like a dog chasing a squirrel. It's like whatever shiny object shows up <laughs> on the trade block. It's like, ooh, you Darvish? I want you Darvish. Ooh, Jared Kelnick's for available? I want Jared Kelnick. And then like I focus on then negotiating a deal that I'm comfortable with, but I don't feel like there's a plan always. And so... Like League One right now, I finally got focused. It's the team I have at OPL. My team's been doing much better in OPL this month than it did last month. I've climbed up close to the top 50, which means that the top 32 is suddenly within reach. And so like I have a plan and I am working the plan right now in League One. In all of my other leagues, I don't I don't I couldn't even tell you in half my leagues whether I'm competing or not. And it's not because I'm like not sure yet. It's like I literally so food and travel are both in. I think I'm in like 10th or 11th place. I might be in fourth place. I actually have no idea. You're right behind me in fifth. I'm in fifth? You're tied for fifth, yeah. Really? I'm not in 10th. Would I lie to you? Yes, you would, but <laughs> not about this probably. <laughs> oh, I am. You... I'm tied for fifth. Yes. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying, right? So like, I actually, like, I probably should be buying <laughs> I guess I need to get aggressive because the top three get food and drinks in that league. Yeah, which is really important, which is the whole point. <laughs> right. Well, I, I'm just, I'm how far back am I? I'm 10 points out of third. I could do that. Oh, I'm buying. Here we go. I'm going to trade Kelnick for something better than you got for him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for Rendon to, to stop being a pumpkin. So, I mean... <clears throat> Tell me about it. Another question I wanted to ask related to all this, and it, this could this could end up being a lengthy discussion, so we'll have to try to just condense it and parse our answer here. But do you think that there is a first mover advantage to making a buying trade this time of year? Or the second part of that question is, do you also think that there's a first mover advantage to making a selling trade? this time of year? I definitely think there's a first mover advantage for selling. Okay. Because I think you have, at this point in the season, you have more teams that think they can compete. Yep. And they've all still not traded away their best trade chips. And so, like, if I look at, I'm going to go to League One. There's a team that started selling and sold aggressively within like a week. Their first trade was May 15th. Their last trade was May 18th. That was one, two, three, four, five different trades they made over those few days. Wow. They traded away a bunch of players. They added, they added Andrew Vaughn. They added Helio Ramos. They added Brandon Marsh. They added Jared Kelnick. They added O'Neill Cruz, Jeter Downs. Like now they also added some guys in there that like they added JJ Blade, who I like, but I don't love. They added Max Meyer, who I think is still too far away. They added Josh Young, who I think is fine. But like now, 
Kelnick and Marsh and Ramos and Vaughn and Cruz, like they're off the table. <laughs> so if I decide next week that I need to sell, I can't get those guys. They aren't the only players out there, but like those, that was five different teams, right? So if I go look at the first place team now, his best prospects are left are Francisco Alvarez and Christian Robinson. He's got George Kirby, who I love, and D.L. Hall, who, I, who I'm pretty high on. So he's got some pitching prospects, but they're pitching prospects. Um, and then he's got a bunch of injured guys. And so he has some interesting pieces to trade for. He's got who Oscar, you know, on the block. He's got Jeff McNeil on the block. Like there's some interesting keepers that, that I could trade for there. But I believe he's the one who gave up. <sighs> he gave up Vaughn or Kelnick. Who did he give up? I can't remember now. He, oh, he wasn't even actually one of those trades. I thought he was. Nope, I'm wrong. So that's the first place team. He was a bad example. He didn't make that trade, those trades. The second place team, though, did make one of those trades. And like, he's got, now got Drew Waters left, Brennan Davis, who's a little far away, Noelvi Marte, who's a little far away. He's got some injured players, Luis Robert, Robert, Luis Robert. But like, he gave away in his trade Helio Ramos and Nolan Gorman. Like, Ramos would have been my top target from him, probably. Yep. So now if I decide to sell, I can't get him. And, it, you know, it is what it is, right? There's there's nothing you can do about that. And, I, and I'm, because I like to compete, I am not likely to jump and take advantage of that first mover advantage. But when I find myself with a team that in like mid-April is just bad and I don't see the path to good, I, I try to act fast. Because I do think there's a first first mover advantage there. I'm not sure I think that's true as a buyer. Because as a buyer, I'm looking right now and the bottom teams in the league, like there's a, like the last place team still has Jose Ramirez at $36 who they might eventually sell. I just traded that last place team for, to get their Miguel Sano, which was, it's an OPL deal because I traded, I gave up a $20 Michael Conforto for a $30 Miguel Sano plus an $18 loan. So I cleared some cap space in the deal. They've got Jose Abreu, who I know he's open to trading eventually. He's got some interesting pitchers. Niv is in 11th place. He still has Trout available. He still has Rendon available. He has Corey Seager potentially available. I don't think he's trading Otani, but he has him. If I go to the 10th place team, they've got Glaber. That this is the 10th place team is a team that already sold, but they still have Glaber Torres. They have a $23 Josh Bell that I assume he would trade at some point. So the the point of this just is like I think there's still a bunch of guys out there who I could buy. And there's an advantage, I actually think. Now, the, the disadvantage here is the team that bought the team that bought already has those guys already, and I don't. But if I buy in a month and I can buy cheaper, it may be worth it to have less competition to buy against and to have less of the top players available to be used as trade chips yep. and to get what I can. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm less inclined to rush to buy Unless there's a piece that goes in the block that I'm just like, this is a unique opportunity to buy this player at a price that I think like, like, I don't think this owner should be, or this manager, I don't think this manager should be selling this player is the case where I buy early. I, I think the other danger in buying early is you're just lacking some information. And I'd like to have a little bit more information about, you know, the players I'm selling and the players I'm buying. I mean, I, and I worry about this with this, Rendon trade, right? Like maybe Rendon is just going to be cooked this year. And I made a buy trade and gave up some prime assets. That Rodon looks like a 
a great asset right now for, I still like Cassianos and he's still performing well for me and I need somebody in my outfield. But if, if that trade ends up just being Cassianos for that group, then that was a big loss for me. So, you know, and, and I, yes, you can always make those uh, regrets about any of these deals about whether you did it too soon, but I feel like it's a little riskier when you're making a buying trade without having a little bit more knowledge. So I don't know if it's, I don't know if I think it's riskier. I think that the downside shows up quicker. Right. Right. If Rendon is cooked and then he gets hurt and he doesn't play and you end up cutting him for cap space or something, like that's that. If Kelnick struggles all year, I'm still going to keep him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So by the time I decide, man, I'm really disappointed in Kelnick and like it's time to move on from him, it'll be like the middle of next season at the earliest. And at that point, I'm not even thinking I gave up Castellanos and Rendon to get this guy. What a terrible trade. I'm just thinking, man, I kept Kelnick and he like he went through ARB and now he's a $12, $15 Kelnick and he really hasn't performed. I really thought he'd be great. Yeah, you're 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 disassociated from the totally. from the trade at that point. Yeah. So like it's just it's hard for a sell trade to feel bad because you're you're intentionally picking guys you can dream on. There are the guys you like, and so you're going to write off their early struggles as early struggles anyways. And because you sold, your team is probably going to perform poorly, which is going to make it look like it was a good idea to sell. <laughs> and so, right, it's a little bit like the, the old thing about like when you fire a coach midseason, the team gets better. It's like, yeah, well, when your team is so bad that you have to fire your coach, you're just naturally going to regress to something yep. better. It's yep. sort of, it's like a different version of that where like, if you sold your best players, you're never going to look back and think, man, if I just kept those guys, maybe I would have competed because your team is going to tank. Although apparently not because I gave you Rendon and Castellanos and now I'm in fifth. So, <sighs> And that team, I have no healthy players in that team. Like none, none, uh, none. I'm pretty sure everybody is in that is in that boat with you right now. The injuries have been, I saw something on Twitter today where there was this stat removing the effect of COVID IL completely. All other IL stints are 30% greater 30% than they up, were in 2019. And that's just, okay, that's but I can't, stark. I can't field a lineup in that league with healthy players. The good news is it's four by four. You don't have as much pressure to that's true to, to maximize your lineup positions. So. But like today, I mean, today three guys have get days off. Dominic Smith isn't playing. Will Myers isn't playing. Colton Wong isn't playing. But like, if I look at my roster for tomorrow in that league, I can I'll have, I'll put Myers in the outfield. So I can start. I have a, I, I do have a player for every position, but I'm starting a middle infielder or a catcher at Util, and I have no one on the bench if I start both my catchers. So there you go. I shouldn't be in fifth place. <laughs> what a mess. I need to figure out what I'm going to do in that league. I'm gonna, that's what I'm doing after we're done recording here. Actually, that's not true. After I'm recording here, I'm dealing with my kids. Sometime <laughs> late tonight, I will deal with that. Well, you will spend the Memorial Day weekend figuring out your plans. You'll use what I'm saying. This is moving day. Oh, man. I don't know. A lot of new moving, Memorial day moving weekend. weekend. That. Well, that's true. No trades are allowed on holiday weekends, too. <laughs> no that's trades a little out. known. That's a little known auto new rule that is rarely enforced. <laughs> that's an inside it's, joke that we, we don't need to. It's been enforced but... once ever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to some specific players. Now, this is this is again, this is sort of just general advice. I, I I'm labeling it as players that we believe should be buy sells or holds. For me, a buy is someone to acquire because they're going to get better 
or they're going to have more value. Sell would be the opposite. And then hold is usually a situation where either I don't know, so maybe just hold on, or you're just not going to get anything of value. So it's better just to take your lumps and maybe they regain value on their own and you can make a decision in the future. You're basically just holding off on making that decision. Although I went the other way. I went the other way with my hold. And my hold is a case where I think there's a guy who a lot of people might feel like they should sell. And I, my argument is don't sell this person. So I, I have one I have one example that sort of fits in that boat as well. So, all right, let's start with players we think are buys. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I've got a lot, I've got more names on here. So, so I mentioned before that we're, we're recording this during Alec Manoa's first start and I'm going off off script here and he's gone five innings, given up two hits a walk and has seven strikeouts against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. He's throwing a shutout in his first start and I'm, I'm buying. I'm very much buying Alec Manoa. No one's going to sell him, but I really, I really, I'm like, we've, we've seen so many young pitchers come up and struggle and this is just super impressive. He's been, I've been watching while we're recording. He's been really good. I posted in the prospects channel on Slack. It was really only 25% a joke where I said the over under on hits allowed for the start today for him was going to be, I was setting it at one and I was taking the under and it was a joke. Obviously he wasn't going to throw a no hitter, but two hits allowed and, and a bunch of strikeouts. It's kind of what I was hoping for. It's kind of what I, now I'm not going to say I thought it was going to happen, but I had a feeling that we might see a debut like this from him today. I started him in each of the three leagues I have him in, I think. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in on that buy. I bought him everywhere I could. I missed out in a couple of situations because I just didn't have, uh, I didn't go big. <laughs> so instead I went home, but <laughs> in, in other situations, I snagged him in a few leagues and I was, I was really happy to, to do that because I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a stud. So yeah. Getting back on script, because the reality is nobody is n- nobody is giving you Alec Manoa right now. If they are, you should take him. My my buys are two struggling veterans who I think are are better than they've shown. One of them, Jay Jaffe, posted an article on Fangraphs today about Tommy Pham. You should go read it. It's a good article. It also makes the case I was going to make, and so you should just read that instead of listening to me. Tommy Pham has been hitting the ball well. And his his X stats show it. He's actually turned things around recently. And so over the last, let me pull this up real quick. Over the last like two weeks, just as a sort of an arbitrary timeline, uh, he has a 131 WRC plus. And actually, that's not even like the right cutoff. That was literally, when it's talk about an arbitrary endpoint, I literally picked two weeks because I felt like it. If we go from the 15th instead of the 12th, he has a 164 WRC plus. He is he's turning it around and he's a very good hitter and he's in the middle of a really great lineup. I, I would be the funny thing is a couple of weeks ago I made an offer for Tommy Pham where I literally said I'm just acquiring Pham to cut him because at the time he was struggling so much and I wanted I wanted the cap space. The other manager did not accept. And now I'm trying to acquire Pham to keep him. <laughs> so and the reality is I shouldn't have been trying to cut him two weeks ago. If you look back at where he was, the signs were all there. I didn't, I hadn't actually sort of, I hadn't done enough of a dive, a deep dive into him, but yeah, I think Fam's turning it around. And I think he's for real. And I think he's going to be good the rest of the way. The other guy that I've got as a buy right now is Glaber Torres. Glaber also has been really bad. He then was out for about a week, I think from, like May 11th to May 19th. And since he's come back, he's been killing the ball. Now it's it's a week, right? It's been like six games or whatever. But he has a 241 WRC plus. He's still striking out too much and not walking enough, but he's he's starting to hammer the ball. We know he's capable the way we know he is capable of doing. He is 
going to he has it is he has good enough plate discipline and a good enough bat that he should be performing better than he is and right now, his home run per fly ball rate is really low. It's at 5.1%. I don't think that'll continue even, you know, Yankee Stadium is a very friendly place to hit home runs. He's running a 345 BAPIP, which will come down. But I think as that goes down, his slugging and his ISO will go up, right? If his first two years in New York, he had a 209 ISO and a 256. The last two years, 2020 and 2021, in a total of 81 games, it's been 125 and 82082. So a 103 ISO total over those two years. But like his max EV is still sort of where it's always been. And he's he's barreling the ball somewhat decent amount. And it's all that stuff's looked better in the last week since he came back. And so I'm buying. I think he's going to turn around and go back to being what he was. I do think his price this season was really, really high. Yeah. And so I don't like. I think he's. I don't think he's going to play his way into being a keeper. But I think he is exactly the kind of guy that if you're looking to buy for the rest of the season, he can help you at second base and shortstop. I think he'll put up good numbers and then you'll cut him loose at the end of the year, which also means that the manager who has him right now, if they're willing to sell, is not giving up any future value with them. And therefore his price should be not low, but reasonable. Yep. Yep. I agree. I mean, you have a lot of that anchoring from his early struggles. I mean, you'll see that this time of year where players that struggle early and then are getting back to form. If you just look at the overall line, it looks worse than they're really performing currently. So you can take advantage of that in some cases. Yeah. The way I chose to select my, my buy, sell and hold uh, I I really, and I know you have criticisms of it and they're valid of using the StatCast, XWOBA specifically. And I also used my spreadsheet that I do the averages of the ERA estimators, XFIP and Sierra and Quick ERA and Expected ERA. My buys are basically players who sh- have, whose StatCast data is better than what they've done so far. So the first one is Kyle Tucker. He has a 394 expected weighted on base, but only a 326 actual weighted on base. Now, he's probably going to be a difficult player to actually buy and acquire. But in a lot of cases, I've seen him for $15, $16 and maybe someone souring a little bit on him at that price because I know he was pretty aggressively sought after in the preseason. Maybe someone's a little lower now than they were then. And you might have an opportunity to acquire them, acquire Tucker before he gets back to being what I think he's going to be the rest of the year, which is a, you know, a top 15, 20 outfielder for sure. People are selling Tucker? I I don't think so necessarily. I feel like I did have an offer recently where Tucker was involved and I was very tempted. But no, I don't think in general teams are selling Tucker, but I think you might have an opportunity to sort of say, hey, I could give you uh, an outfielder who's performing better, somebody who's who's competing, for example, and maybe they're they're sort of sick of not getting production out of that lineup position at an outfield, and they'd be willing to sell Tucker where normally, you know, if he was hitting at a 394 weighted on base, no one would be selling him right now. So this might be an opportunity to buy him. I think you'd have to actively buy him rather than hope that their manager's going to sell him. Another example of that is is. Freddie Freeman. Now, Freddie Freeman is Freddie Freeman. Yes, everybody knows that he's one of the best first basemen in baseball, but he's only got a 358 weighted on base right now, which is not to his standards, but he does have a 413 expected, which is basically right in line with what we would have uh, hoped for for Freddie Freeman this year. So again, 
there's probably not anybody that's really looking to move him. But again, if there's a situation where you can sell a first baseman to a competing team and convince them that they're upgrading, it might be a move that you could make or or swap a different position. That one's going to be a little bit harder because I think if you're a competing team, you're just going to hold Freddie Freeman and you probably should. And if you're a rebuilding team, I don't know that you're really targeting somebody like Freddie Freeman, but I just basically wanted to point out he was among the list of the players that had the, the biggest delta between their current weighted on base and expected. Yeah, um, Freeman's a really good example of, I mentioned before that like, even if I'm not buying per se, I might buy a guy who I think a team is ill-advised in selling. Right. Right. And Freeman's a really good example of a case where like, if I'm in a league where Freddie Freeman is on a team that's struggling and that manager has him, especially if they have him at like a reasonable price, 50 bucks, let's say, or, yep. or I mean, I'm looking at my leagues right now. There's a $45 Freeman in one league, 44, 43. So like, Somewhere in that range, if they have got him at the lower end of that range, anything under 50 bucks and they're selling him, that's exactly the kind of situation where I'd be like, okay, you've decided that he's not a keeper at that price. And I think you might be wrong. And so I might buy. On the other hand, I traded away a $51 Freeman. I traded $51 Freeman for a $38 Rendon and a $5 Ian Anderson in Brinks. Niv and I made that trade because we needed active pitching and we were expecting that we might have to sell anyways. And I actually feel pretty good about that because I think Anderson is pretty valuable. But yeah, I mean, that that is the kind of case where like, I think you can, you're not going to be able to buy low in that you're not going to be able to convince somebody to sell Freeman for half of what he's worth. But you might be able to buy low from somebody who thinks that Freeman is definitely not a keeper when maybe he will be. Right. And then my third buy pick as a pitcher is Eduardo Rodriguez. He has a 506 ERA right now, but a 332 XFIP. He's been pitching really, really well. And I think if anybody's just looking at his points per innings pitched or they're just looking at his ERA, they may undersell how good he's been. And you could have an opportunity as a buyer or, you know, as a rebuilding team or a competitive team to take advantage of, of acquiring him for the stretch. So, all right, why don't you do your, your, we'll do, we'll do holds next. I'll let you do your hold pick here. Yeah. So my hold, I mentioned this before that I went sort of a different direction with hold instead of it being a guy who's struggling, who I think better is coming. I went with a guy who I think there's probably a lot of people out there wondering if they should sell high. And I think the answer is no, uh, and that's Adelis Garcia. Adelis Garcia has, uh, to say he's taken the world by storm, I think is an understatement. <laughs> he he has, he's only been up for 41 games. So he's played, you know, fewer games than most other players. And he hasn't been a starter in all those games. He's only got 170 plate appearances. And he is tied for the major league lead in home runs with 16. He is a 397 Woba. He's even stealing bases. He's got five stolen bases. So he's doing sort of everything. And there aren't a whole lot of of super concerning things. Like his plate discipline isn't great, but he's shown flashes of better before. And I think that he's right now sort of over aggressive and I think he'll rein in his chase rate a bit over time. His BAPIP looks fine. His home run per fly ball rate is inflated, but he is very powerful and he hits the ball hard. And so I think he can he can maintain a high home run per fly ball rate, even if he can't maintain what he's doing right now. Having said that, if somebody wants to pay you as if that 397 Woba is legitimate, you should take it because it's not. It's going to come down. I just think that there's a lot of people who are wondering, should they sell him like they think he's going to turn back into a pumpkin and be a guy that you can only use once every 
week or as a part-time player or whatever. And like, I don't think that's the case. I think that he is going to maintain value as a solid, useful, everyday outfielder in fantasy. I agree. I mean, his his expected WOBA is 381. His expected runs above average right now is 16th among outfielders. So I think he's a top 20 to 30 outfielder for sure. And yeah, I would hold. I mean, if you get a sweetheart offer, someone that's really convinced that he's, you know, the next great outfielder, sure. But I don't know that anybody's really buying that right now. And anybody that is probably already has Adelise on their roster. So, so yeah, I agree. You're you're just going to name drop Christian without name dropping Christian. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I know he's going to be thrilled by this segment because there's been a lot of, a lot of hype men for Adelise in, in the Slack group, especially in Dinger Tracker, which is a little channel we have where all the home runs get posted. And it's been very active whenever Adelise is at the plate. So, yeah, Miguel will tell you that he is, Miguel's driving the, the bus, but uh, he's <laughs> just driving it on Christian's behalf. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that, I, yeah, if somebody's willing to give you, you know, he's an elite, elite player value, you should. I think one of the interesting things with him is, you know, Justin, you're talking X stats. I know the other thing you love are projections, and his projections are not very good. His rest of season projection for Woba from the depth charts, let's just use that because it doesn't actually matter which one I use, is 308 which yeah. is not great. His preseason depth charts WOBA projection was 275. So what you're seeing in that 308 is a projection system with years of data that it is very heavily anchored on has taken these 40 games and changed their expectation from this guy from bad AAA player <laughs> to reasonable, at least acceptable major league player. To, to, to nearly... Major League average hitter at the plate because that's a 98 WRC plus. That's 33.033 increase in Wova, which is huge. Huge increase, right? It is. The the WRC plus ad from before the season was 59. Yeah. So he went from 41% below average to basically average per depth charts. And every day that he keeps doing what he's doing, that number's just going to creep up. That's a huge shift. I, I haven't done the, the math to look to see who, like, is that like the biggest shift in WRC plus from preseason to now? It has to be awfully close. It, it, it would have to be. Yeah, it would have to be, especially because he had just, I mean, that's a bad projection. <laughs> it's a bad it's, it's really bad. And now it's still not great, but it's it's a lot better. So my hold, I have, again, I have three hold picks. I'll go through them relatively quickly. Number one is Alec Bohm. He has a 248 weighted on base right now. Yes, his expected stats are much better than that, but it's still only a 317. I I have very real concerns about what we're seeing right now. I thought he would be a breakout at third base when we did our three, third base preview episode. I know we talked about Alec Bohm and we talked about Cabrian Hayes, who unfortunately has been injured this year. I, I'm very concerned. I have him on a number of rosters. I'm not really even getting any interest. No one's really asking about Alec Bohm right now. So I don't think there's a real hefty market to sell him. And I still think long-term I'm a believer. So I'm kind of stuck in a point where I I think you just have to hold. I think he's going to be better than he's been, but I don't know how much better. And I don't know that you're going to get much in return for him right now anyway. So for me, he's a hold, especially if you've got him at a reasonable price, which most of my leagues I do. If I had him for 10 plus, I might think about not holding and doing something more drastic, but you don't have him anywhere. I can buy him from you, unfortunately, because I would, I have him in, I have him in three of my seven leagues for eight, eight and $9. And I'm, I would sell him 
But like, if I trade him, honestly, if I trade him, it's going to be in League One, where I know Niv is high on him, and I'm going to trade him because I think I can get full value from Niv for him. I'm not selling low for sure. I think I did actually trade him in one league because it looks like I only roster him in one league right now at $7. And that's a price that I, at that price, I'm definitely still holding. The $10 plus versions, like I said, I I might have other other ideas about that. But for now, I think he's a hold. Another hold that's somewhat in the same vein as your Adelise Garcia pick is Jesse Winker. 452 weighted on base. The expected weighted on base is lower, but it's still 401. Um, he's been the ninth best outfielder so far based on the StatCast data. I think he's I think he's going to keep it up for the most part. Yeah, he's going to regress a little bit, but I think he's still going to be a top 12 outfielder the rest of the way. So I don't know if you could, again, it, you can sell anybody if the price is right. I don't know if you get a sweetheart offer, yes, sell him. But in general, I wouldn't sell him thinking to yourself, I'm selling Winker's hot start. He's going to go back to what he was. I don't know that that's true. And he's been much better than a lot of people give him credit for in the past anyway. But I think we're seeing a breakout that a lot of people has expected from Winker for a while now. Yeah, I love Winker. I have no, I have nothing to add to that. He's really good. <laughs> and he's still, I mean, he's he's still in his tw- age 27 season. So we're not talking about, you know, somebody even approaching their 30s yet. And it was a 396 weighted on base in the short season last year. He's got the 401 expected and 452 actual weighted on base this year. He's got good plate discipline, and we're finally seeing the power from him that we were kind of waiting for. You know, he always had the plate discipline, and now he's hitting for power. So I would hold for sure. My last hold pick is Luis Castillo. I have him on one roster. It's been really rough. I mean, the 761 ERA is horrible. The XFIP is 406. The Sierra is 435. That's still not good. It's still not worth what he's being rostered at for the salary. So he is could be a cut candidate in some places. But I also think he's going to turn it around and and be close to what we expected he would be going into the season the rest of the way. And we've been seeing it a little bit. I think his recent starts have been much better. So, again, it's it another be worse. Well, I mean, like be- you're not better. Wrong. Yeah, but but I meant better in the sense that, well, maybe they weren't as good. as I thought. No, they were they were better, <laughs> but like not not Still good. Still not good. No. Yeah. He just got cut in. I took over a lead team and a 10 team league. So there's a whole backstory behind this, but myself and two others on Slack took over a team where the manager had picked up an 87 or something like that dollar Mookie bets in the auction as their first player and then quit and, and deserted the team. And we decided, okay, yeah, it's post auction. Yeah. There's no talent left, but whatever, we're going to go, we're going to go pick up this team and see what we can do with it. The team that drafted, a $15 Luis Castillo just cut him this week and we put in a waiver claim on him. Now, part of the reason we put in a waiver claim on him is we came in after the auction and we have like literally endless cap space, right? I mean, when we started to build the team, everybody else had a complete team and we had one player and 320 bucks to spend. We still have uh, $176 in unused cap right now. And so the $15 is is fine. But, you know, we're trying to cobble together a team here. And I think it, he's he's potentially quite good. And so let's let's go for it and see see what happens. Give him a shot to bounce back. Somehow or another on that team, we are it's a head-to-head league and we are above 500 and like we are we are in a virtual tie for a playoff spot right now 
despite not participating in the and it was a startup auction. So it's not like we had like keepers to build off of. There's right. nothing there. That is, as the secretary of the Alec Manoa fan club, I should point out that I was going to bench him today because like, why would you start a rookie making his first career start at Yankee Stadium? And our our good friend Mike Maud was like, nah, we should put him in there. That would be more fun. So we did. And he is now two third, five and two thirds, and just dominating. So I don't think you can call yourself the secretary of the Alec Manoa fan club if you I'm were just the were secretary. Start All I'm okay. doing is taking notes. Okay. All right. Well, as the treasurer of the Alec Manoa fan club. Yeah. The unfortunate thing for for I me, think Alec Louis... Manoa is the treasurer of the Alec Manoa fan club. <laughs> he's the one who's going to be handling the money. True. And it might take him a while to get there, but he's going to get some big money someday. The unfortunate thing for me right now with Luis Castillo is across my ten leagues. I have him in two leagues and they happen to be the two leagues where he's the cheapest, which is not a bad thing because I'm not paying him a lot, but it's also making it really hard for me. Like if he was $30, he's, he's $37 in one league. He's 27 in another 28 in another. I I mean, I'd be probably looking to cut him, but I have him at 18 and 14 in, in these two leagues. And he, I just keep kind of sliding by his name thinking, no, for that price, if he puts it together, he's a keeper for sure. And he's a really good keeper. So I don't want to risk cutting him too early. I can wait. I haven't needed to cut him, obviously, to free up anything. So if he was more expensive, it'd be a little easier for me to bite the bullet and throw him throw him out into the waters. But all right, let's get to our sell picks real quick. I'll let you start with yours. And then again, I've got three. Yeah, so my sell, and this is going to this is going to infuriate some people, I am sure, because I know he's a popular dude. And I I like him for the game of baseball and who he is and, and what he brings to the game more than I like him as a auto-new player. But I'd be selling Jazz Chisel. There are, I think, a lot of red flags here. He has a 35% strikeout rate, which is you know not good. You can survive with a 35% strikeout rate if you have elite walk rates and a ton of power. He has an 8.5% walk rate, which is fine. Uh, He does not have a ton of power. He's got some power, but he's not like, he's not a 40 home run hitter. He is posting an awfully good line right now with the 361 Woba, but he's got that ugly strikeout rate. He's got a 417 BAPIP, and he's got a 22.7 home run per fly ball rate that I don't think he can maintain. I could be wrong. His his hard hit data is good, but not great. If I look at his his X stats, his X Woba is 327, and it's and his X SLG is 442. There's a lot of power that I think is gonna dry up there, and I think. I would be very happy to have Jazz Chisholm as a on my team. I think he's a good player. I think he is a useful player. I don't think that people are going to be happy with him as their starting second baseman. And right now, people are treating him like he's a top second baseman. And I just don't think he is. And so if I can move him to somebody who thinks this guy's a top five second baseman and get that value, I'm going to do it. If I can get, if I can trade him to someone who thinks he's a top 10 second baseman and I can get that value, I'm going to do it. Uh, Cause I think he's more like top 15 to 20. He's a, he's a decent option for a utils or for a middle infield spot. And he's probably not even to me going forward. He's not even a guy I want starting in my, my middle infield every day. He no, might he be said- my five out of seven guys day with somebody else who comes in when he has a tough matchup. But I think there's a lot of people right now who value him as a 
legit top tier second baseman, start him every day at second base and like find that manager and trade him. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Every little bit of it. So this yeah. has been such a pleasant conversation. <laughs> I said the last time it was just a Chad and Justin episode. We didn't we didn't have as much conflict as we normally do. So I think it's Niv's fault. I think he instigates it, it somehow. I'm going to find a way to argue with you next, though. We're okay. Gonna, well, I'll, here, this one might be it if you wanted to. My my first sell is uh, Frankie Lindor. He's got a 310 expected weighted on base. He's really struggled. I called him a bust in the preseason episodes, a shortstop episode. Is this your last chance to sell him? I mean, do we think he's going to turn it around? Do we think he's going to be anywhere near what the salary he was going for? I mean, I, I think we talked about it on Slack a little bit earlier. I mean, he was, I have to pull it up what his first year price was. I think it was like $40, which to me, even in the preseason before knowing he was going to struggle this year, I thought was was a little nuts. Yeah, $40, which was the fourth highest shortstop at the time that we recorded that episode. So obviously he's been bad this year. I don't know how much better it's going to get. And if somebody's willing to to buy him right now, I would be selling him absolutely for almost anything I could get. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would disagree with is I think you missed your last chance to sell him for real value. Well, I Um, do too, but... In... So we talked earlier about the Mike Trout situation in Brinks. Niv and I talked to the, the the manager who ended up winning Trout. One of the guys he cut was Lindor. We talked to him about trading for Lindor a few days ago when the when the Trout stuff was just starting, specifically because we thought we would end up wanting to cut Lindor. Yeah. And where we got was he want like he gave us a list of guys. We came back and we were like, that list of guys feels like a bit much. What about Tanner Houck? And he was like, no, that's not good enough. We're like, okay, well, George Kirby was on your list. We could maybe do George Kirby. And he was like, I was really thinking like a couple of the guys on your list, this list, not one of them. And we were like, well, we're borderline willing to give you one of them. So like, and I think that's where you're going to find yourself if you try to sell Lindor right now. If you're competing, I think he's a hold. I think if you're competing, like... I think he'll hit better than he has. His plate discipline is a lot better this year. Like there, there's some really good signs in there, but I don't think he's ever going to get back to the heights he was at. But I think you're more likely to get a usable sort of middle infielder shortstop out of him than you are any value you're going to get from trading him right now. If you're not competing, I'm with you. Trade him and trade him now and trade him for literally anything you can get because I don't think his value is going to go up. I think he might start hitting again. But when he starts hitting again, I think he's going to reestablish himself as something that wasn't like the like first round pick type value people expected. And it's not going to bring up his value. Right. I agree. Yes, I think, yes, he's going to start hitting better than he's been. I mean, he can't keep hitting as poorly as as he's shown so far with the Mets. But but I don't know that he's ever going to be, you know, that $40 shortstop in Autonew. And if anyone's still dreaming on that and they think it's just a little bit of a slump at the beginning of the season... I would try to find somebody if they in your league that might think that because it's not me. I think I think like you said, there's going to be a new level that is going to be established by Lindor, and I think it's much lower than it the market expected before the season. And yeah, I would be selling him. The next name on my list is Randy Arozarena. I'd be trying to for for two reasons. Number one, I, I think there's still some of that 2020 postseason hype, right? I mean, he was so incredible, so much buzz behind his performance. 
He has a 300 expected weighted on base right now, coupled with a 353 actual weighted on base. He's been he's been hitting well on the surface, but I this is a situation where I feel like you could sell on some of the hype and the fact that he is hitting the ball and you're sort of anticipating a downturn coming. At least I am. And he would be a player I would I would be trying to sell. I do have him in league and I've been trying to sell him, but again, I, I need to get better about like actually pounding the, the pavement when it comes to trading players. But I would be trying to to maximize a return for him right now. The last name on my list is Aaron Savali. Again, like some of this is just, he's coupled in my mind with Zach Pleaslack a, a lot as well as guys who the projections are not really that sold on. And he has a three, uh, Savali has a 304 ERA, but he has a 406 XFIP and a 423 uh, Sierra. And he's only getting 7.01 K per nine, which is really bad in today's baseball where any pitcher with a pulse is getting nine Ks per nine innings. So especially in Fangrass points where, as I harp on all the time, getting strikeouts from your pitchers is so vitally important. I don't like rostering pitchers like Savali unless they're just out of this world when it comes to command and control. And, I, and he could be that maybe eventually, but I think he's outperforming his peripherals right now. So I, again, now I don't roster him anywhere. So it, for me, it's a moot point because he was a player I was avoiding just like Plesak. But if you were a believer and you're souring on him a little bit, I would maybe try to move him and sell him to somebody who's who believes he's a 304 ERA pitcher, because I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's that. I do think where he, he is more valuable in OPL and head-to-head because they let him... He's averaging almost seven yeah. innings per start. He's got 68 yeah. innings over 10 starts. And so, you know, that, that, that extra inning per start over most everyone else, because most pitchers are more like five and two-thirds, not six and two-thirds, like that's the equivalent of three extra strikeouts if you're in a yep, that's best true. ball or a, or a head-to-head. In a, in a season-long league, it's not the equivalent of three extra strikeouts. It's an extra inning, and that's good, but it's not, it just isn't as valuable. I, I, Savali is an interesting one to me because he seems to induce pretty limited hard contact. And this is more from the eyeball test than anything else. And it's mostly because he just keeps guys off balance. He has, you know, it's funny. The the, the Cleveland broadcast brings this up. The, the radio broadcast in particular brings this up every time he pitches, which I find sort of hilarious. But they go through his pitch mix by percentage used. Mm-hmm. And he throws like depending on what classifications you're using and stuff, he throws like five or six pitches. So if I look at the, the pitch info pitch types on f- fan graphs, he has a four seamer. He throws 26.3% of the time, a cutter. He throws 22.4% of the time, a splitter. He throws 12.9%, a sinker, 10.2% slider, 13.1 and a curve 15%. So that is six pitches between 10 and 26%. You have no, like you can't guess against him. You literally can't. It'd be a terrible idea to try to guess a pitch because he can throw whatever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And none of those pitches are great. If they were, if like one or two of those pitches was legitimately great, he would be unstoppable because he can mix and match so well. And so his stuff just isn't that special, but it is so varied that I think hitters are just off balance against him all the time. 
the, the listeners can't see me laughing, but I, I was laughing to myself while you were talking about Savali because it just reminds me of Kohei Arihara when he had a, a couple decent starts there. And a lot, there was quite a bit written about the fact that, well, why, why is he performing so well? And he is a similar case for him where he was throwing six, seven, eight different pitches, none of them good, right? But because of the 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 varied the mix the 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 mix I, there was a word I was trying to chase and I missed it you know the arsenal you know the varied arsenal that it was enough to keep hitters off balance and and it it went horribly wrong from that point forward and now he's injured and on the shelf but yeah I, I think the difference with Arihara and I, I could be wrong about this he has a varied mix of not good pitches Savali has a varied mix of good pitches that aren't great. Right, I, and, and I'm, I that, I'm not. Right. I'm not saying that they're the same pitcher at all. No, no, no. But I, it's a, I, but it's a fair comparison. It's a fair point to make. And I think that's when I'm saying none of those pitches are great. I literally mean that. Like most of your most of the best pitchers you think of when you think about Bieber, you think about Degrom. They have one or maybe two just out lights out, right. unhittable pitches, and then they've got two or three other good pitches that they can mix in, and they and maybe a bad pitch they use at times too. Savali doesn't have that elite pitch. What he does have is six pitches that most other pitchers would be very happy to have. And so I think that from that perspective, I think he can continue to outperform his strikeout rates. But I agree with you. If, if somebody's looking at him in like 3.04 ERA, throwing all these innings, he's a Cy Young candidate or something like that, have him. Yeah. I mean, even with that low ERA right now, in Fangraph's points, it's a 4.72 points per inning pitched, which is good. But, you know, even if, if you consider this, this is the peak that you're going to get out of him, that's still not even a five points per innings pitched pitcher, which your point about the the innings pitched per start is a very valid one. And I think I agree with you 100 percent in in OPL or in head to head leagues. There's there's a little bit extra value you get from him because he's going out there and he's going to eat even if he's not is good going forward. He's still an above average pitcher, even if he regresses to his XFIP. So, I mean, he's still a good pitcher. He's just maybe not as good as auto new managers might expect right now. And that was, that was my, my intention in calling him as a sell is not that he's worthless, but although he was, I think he and please both were zero or $1 players on the surplus calculator to start the season. So anyway, anyway, okay. I think we are, we are done there. We, (laughs) <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah. I didn't mean for it to go this long, but we will have Niv with us on the next episode. I think at this point we we meant to do like a round one review of OPL and we didn't get a chance to do that. But I think what we're gonna do is we're definitely gonna do next week a round one and two review of the happenings in OPL and we'll have a lot to talk about with this next cut deadline cut down day which is as of the end of the games on may 31st will be the end of this next round so only the top 100 teams in opl will advance so i guarantee we will be talking about that in the next episode but for now good night and thank you for listening